Well, I think we're going to go ahead and get ourselves started this morning. I'll say good morning to you all. I, I hope and pray you had a great, a great week. I thank you for being here uh, this morning. Um, I don't know who put this up here because it's like anonymous, but it's got a Snoopy on it, and that's good. Sometimes I worry about opening these because like Linda Reiser one time gave me a pair of socks for Reformation Day. It says, here I stand. I can do no other. I kind of like those socks, though. Um, I got a pair of Christmas socks last year, um, and these will, will always stay with me because they will always remind me of that beautiful moment on Christmas Eve when Pastor Carl stood in front of everybody and didn't even think about what he was saying. And it was time for the candles to be... We're going to sing Silent Night. And Pastor Carl, with all of his beautiful voices, all right, everybody, let's get lit. <laughs> Where's Pastor Mike? We would never let him forget that. Isn't that true? That's true. So I'm a little bit afraid to open this because who knows what in the world's going to be in here, but I'm going to anyway. All right, let's see what we got. It's not socks, I can tell you that right now. It's not peeps. If you give me peeps, I'll be running out of this room screaming. You scare me to death. It is, oh, this is cool. LED Snoopy lights. <laughs> Whoever gave me these, thank you. I, I'm going to put them, they're going to be a de decoration for me. Thank you. That's awesome. Hard to believe this week we start Advent. Um, Wednesday night's our first Advent service. Uh, kind of slight slips up on people, but it's one of my favorite. It's kind of the lost season of the church year in a lot of ways. Um, we've forgotten that. The Advent has, has a double meaning. Of course, the Latin term the, to come. Adventus, the coming. And uh, on one hand, we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ as a child. But how often do I, say, do I say to God, God, come now, come now. And uh, part, of our, part of our life as Christians is, is in faith, really being ready to say, today come. And being able to say, I stand covered in the blood of Christ, ready for you to come this moment. And that's, that's, that's kind of that season of it. And I, I always look forward to it. We're going to be in chapter 13 again today. We'll kind of do a recap and then dive into the rest of this chapter, ask you to pray with me. Lord God, as we come together, I just ask that you be with us in this time. Thank you for these opportunities that you give us. Um, they, they really are just that. I think I see that more now than ever before in my life, what it means to be able to gather together, to choose to gather together, to in faith stand up and say we will gather together. Uh, that is just not something to be taken for granted ever again. Lord, uh, bless this time as we look at this word, and um, it's challenging. It challenges me, uh, and yet, Lord, it is so right, uh, particularly for this time that we're living through right now. So speak to us through it. Uh, give us conviction uh, to try to live it out, uh, and live it out in your strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Last week, we started off with what I call foundational kind of some foundational thoughts. The foundation you build upon is pretty doggone important. I made a note to, to, to just say this. Maybe some of you notice that we're doing a little bit of foundational work right now in our church. Kind of started off with this, this future study and we were asking questions about the space that God has given us here at, at Peace. And one of the things that kind of rose to the top was, 
where do we provide good space for our middle school students on Sunday mornings to gather together to hear the word? Well, we just haven't. And as that group has grown, uh, that, that space has become more and more important. So we tried a few experiments. We uh, put the, the middle schoolers in the coffee corner. And um, whoo, some of the coffee corner people just about bit their heads off. Like, you get this is our space, and it's coffee time out. Um, that did not work. We put them on the west side of this, this room right in here. And uh, I remember one Sunday, I will forget what game they were playing, but it was pretty loud, and that did not work. So we finally said, what are we going to do? And we, uh, create, we're creating space uh, where uh, Shannon and Amanda's offices have been on the east side of the hallway, kind of adjacent to that going downstairs into the, the other youth space. So it kind of, kind of aligns. Well, once you push that domino, guess what? Other dominoes fall, such as, where are you going to put Shannon? <laughs> the roof's not that bad. I mean, you could get up there on the roof, but no, not roof. So we said, well, there's another space we've kind of been wanting to work on is our library. Um, one of the things I like to ask new members, where is our church's library? There's a library here? A lot of our, our folks who've been around here a long time know, yep, there's a library here. So we, we started working with the, the, the library team, Sher Sherry Clintz particularly, and said, what would it look like for us to move our, our library, some of these resources out in front where people can see them and access them? And Sherry said, yeah, that's, that's something we've been wanting for a long time. So. Uh, we're in the process of putting together kind of a plan that will create some space in that coffee corner area using wall space to do what a lot of churches are doing right now, kind of a resource center there where people can have a cozy place to pull a book out and read or grab a, Rick, a, a DVD that they might want to check out and watch, take home. Um, a lot of resources today are digital. You know, they are people pick them up online. But, but there's still room and a place for, for books and, and take-home CDCs. So we're, we're creating some space uh, for that. And I think that uh, uh, we're going to celebrate that when that, when that happens. Um, so if you kind of see some, some building and stuff going on here, we're, we're shifting the foundations. Here's what I know. That will, create, that will create a little bit of turmoil for Lutherans. True or false? I've always said as a pastor, the real conversations in the church happen in the parking lot. That's where they happen. They never happen in the pastor's office. They happen in the parking lot. And so I know there's been some, uh, some, some building kind of conversations going along, and that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, if that shakes us up, imagine Paul trying to speak to the church about the way we live and making changes in the way that we live for the sake of reaching people that are different than us. And what I want you to see is that's really what's going on when chapter 13 begins. I quoted Stephen Covey last week. Uh, Covey is the guy who's, who's always taught me, people do not care what you know. Think about this, Johannes. People don't care what you know. Okay, they don't care what you know. Until what? 
switch it around until they know how much you care. I'll listen to you because, Johannes, I see something in you. You care about me. You care about me. Cade, we've had good conversations. You care. And the reason that I'll, I'll have a conversation with someone is because they, there's a relationship that's being formed that says, I, I care about, about you. That's Covey trying to say, well, then as Christians, think about this. Every time you go out into the world, the way you live, how you treat other people, how you live in relationship to things that are secular will make a difference in your ability to bear witness to another person about Jesus Christ. And so it's kind of interesting that in chapter 13, particularly that first half, Paul is treating secular things in a spiritual way. Think about that. He's treating secular things in a spiritual way. He's going to talk to us about politicians and, and politics and, and offices. And we could all gather together and say, yeah, that, that's, all, that's all secular. Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, it is secular. You, you can't be saved by, by the politics. You, you're, you're not going to come to faith through politics. But it is all established by God and is used by God for his intentions and his purposes. And so the way that you live in relationship to those who hold offices that God has created is actually spiritual. Spiritual. It has spiritual connotations. It can absolutely impact your ability to have honest witness to Jesus Christ when you go out into the secular world. In other words, we're, we are living, whether we like it or not, as Christians, under a magnifying glass. We never, under that magnifying glass, pretend to be perfect. We, we admit readily, chief of sinners though I be, right? Um, why, why, why do we come together underneath the word of God? Because we need it. And yet the way I live, I, I'm constantly wanting to say, God, help me live this day in a way that allows me the opportunity to bear witness in another person's life. When I'm living in the secular world in a way that um, brings reproach upon what it means to be a Christian, then I, then I compromise my ability to share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at the very, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but at the very beginning of, of, of chapter 13, your English Bible say it this way, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Um, the Greek Bible uses a little, little bit different term here. The term is not improperly, it's not improperly translated person, but the word is suke. And the reason I point it out is it has spiritual connotations. A suke is a life, yes, is a person, yes, but it is a life and a person with a soul. And so I translate it differently. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Why? Because it's a soul issue. It will impact your ability uh, to uh, be able to bear witness uh, to the Word of God. Last week, um, I know I said some things in here that are challenging to us. They, they really are challenging to us. Um, I want you to know that I am not going to stand up here in judgment of any of you. I get it. We're in a hard time where 
we look at our world and we say to, to ourselves, man, it feels like our rights are being challenged and sometimes put into compromise. I get that. It feels like I'm living in a world where you're, you're trying to tell me what to do and you, you want to take more and more and more and more away from me. I get that. I am a messenger here. But I want you to hear God's word. Let every person be subject to, Hupotasso, place yourself underneath those who have been given authority to govern. Followed up with the words, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. This, this last week, I knew that we would have here in our, our city a mask mandate. Um, I pulled together on Tuesday uh, a large group of pastors from around this area, Grand Island. We did a little bit of a Zoom meeting. I worked with, a, with one of the pastors at Third City. I said, hey, let's, let's pull some pastors together. Let's get a read on what's going on. I listened to pastor after pastor say the same thing. We've had people leave our church because we require masks. Next, Pastor. We've had people leave our church because we don't require masks. And I think to myself, how in the world, or if you'll allow me to be very precise, how in hell? Because this is of hell. Does the devil figure out a way to make this thing right here a weapon? Weaponizes this thing. To the degree that we, we are going to allow it to divide us. Early on in this thing, we sat down as, as a leadership team in this church and said, this cannot divide us. I will respect your rights and I will respect your, your opinions. But I, as, a, as a pastor and somebody who, who's been given charge to, to lead, we, we will do this. We'll come underneath our governing authorities. And so when our authorities say to us, we have a mask mandate, we, 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 we pass that on. Well, yeah, okay, we have a mask mandate. Um, do, I, do I necessarily agree with what's being put on us today? N not necessarily, right? But um, will I come underneath it? Yeah, I'll come underneath it. If you want to challenge it, can you challenge it? Yeah, you can. Uh, there are right ways to go about challenging decisions that authorities make. Why does it matter? Because, listen, if, if I'm constantly pushing back against those who have been given by God the authority to make decisions, if I'm constantly saying, well, that person can't tell me and that person can't tell me, here, here's the underlying question that it raises for somebody who's outside of the church. Oh, well, if you can do that with him, why can't I do that with God? Who's God to tell me I have to do this? What if I disagree with God? I was reading my Bible and God said this. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. Um, so, no, to come under authority is to recognize that there is a greater authority spiritually. And it's the word of God that calls us to live in a very particular way. Again, hear me understand this. I will respect you no matter where you stand on, on this whole issue. But, but as, a, as, a, as a person who's given that job of, of leading, yeah, we're, we're going to take Romans 13 and say, yeah, that applies to us. We will, 
we will come underneath those authorities that have been instituted by God. In fact, verse 2 says, when I resist the authority, who am I really resisting? I'm coming against God. You, you appointed those. And um, notice that, notice this in context. I, I want to get this away from masks. Um, this wasn't about masks for, for, the, for the citizens living in Rome. This is against, this is living in a context where it would be normal for you to walk down the streets of Rome and see Roman rulers walking hand in hand with a little child who they're going to molest. That would be normal. And so the Christians would say, well, why would you possibly tell me that I need to come underneath the authority of that sick, disgusting, pedophilic monster? I won't do it. <clears throat> and Paul says, oh, no, no, no. Actually, all of the authorities, they had their places because God instituted them. And believe it or not, God is going to use some of these monsters in ways that you probably will never understand, you'll never comprehend, but I promise you God will use them. He always has and he always will. So recognize that what, what God is doing is he's created uh, those who govern for, um, you know, for, 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 for his purposes. Skip over to verse 5. This is where we pick up from last week. It says, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, which we definitely want to avoid, but also for the sake of conscience. Um, always remember conscience is something that um, most developmental psychologists attribute to the natural world. Uh, in other words, if I'm, a, if I'm a practitioner of psychology or Rick, when you're, when you're doing counseling, well, you have a conscience. Are there people without a conscience? Are there? What, what do we call those people? Psychopaths, right? Okay, I, I kind of look at it a little bit differently. So I kind of look at it this way. Is a conscience a part of our natural being? In other words, when God made us, did he say, I'm giving you now a conscience? Well, in a sense, yes. But in another sense, no. I always think of a conscience as being supernatural in the sense that God, when he made us, made us in his image. That is, he imprints us with, with the law. It doesn't matter where I go in the entire world. People know, yep, yep, if when you murder someone, that's bad. They know that. That's not a good thing. Um, so where did that come from? Well, God imprints that on us. Do I listen to that? Do I hear it? Do I hear that? Well, the conscious is going off inside of me, but I have the ability to resist it. Okay. Uh, when it comes to a psychopath, what, what is a psychopath? Well, it's somebody who you would look at and I would look at it. Well, they don't appear to have anything written on them at all. They have, I mean, I've done ministry with some, some psychopaths who very coldly would say to me, uh, yep, I want to kill my brother. I'm not a big deal. I, yeah, I'm going to kill him. Well, what are you doing to him? Well, I'm slipping rat poison into uh, his cocaine. I'm like, my God, you're putting rat poison in your brother's cocaine? Yeah, that'll kill him. Yep. No conscience. No sense of conscience. I think there's something, now, is there something natural about that? Something broken? No doubt. But I also think there's something supernatural going on there. There's a resisting 
of a spirit who's still seeking. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not saved. Spirit is constantly working to bring you into alignment with the will of God. That's the purpose of a conscience. So the point that Paul's making here is that when I resist the government, I'm actually out of alignment with the will of God. I'm not walking in his will. And it's why he's being strong with his language here. Verse 6 says, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Not only should you support those who are in office, but you pay your taxes in order to support them because these systems, no matter what system it is, have been created or exist under the authority of God. Who loves paying taxes? Now, honest, I want you to be honest. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've said to yourself, I don't know if I can pay taxes? Have you ever had that moment? I have. Okay. Now, I understand the law and how, to, how it works at the state level, but there's a time in my life where I thought, listen, um, what happens in a world where uh, the government makes uh, abortion a matter of law and now says, you'll pay for it. Your taxes will pay for it. I really wonder if that's not coming in the United States of America. And I say that because when I, when I watched the Democratic debates this, this past year, every single candidate said, we pledge to make Roe v. Wade a matter of law. We want to make it a matter of law. Okay. Once you make it a matter of law, how far away are you from saying, now your state must enforce this law, and how far are you away from saying, and not only enforce this law, but we're going to use tax dollars to pay for it. And once that happens, is there part of me that steps back and says, who the horse is here? What does Acts chapter 5 teach me? That I should, as a Christian, obey my authorities unless they ask me to do something that God has forbidden and God has forbidden that. I'm wondering if it's coming in the United States. I really am. Um, I can tell you this, when these words are being written, the whole tax system, just like the whole government, was absolutely corrupt. You know how you became a tax collector in Rome? Same way you become a car dealer in America today. You, you, you can't just go out and become a car dealer, right? You, you lobby to become a dealer in, a, in an area, right? Marvin, I don't know how it works with firecrackers, but I bet it's the same way. I don't think you just can go set up a stand. I think you have to actually be authorized to do that, right? So um, the Romans, when you became a tax collector, you became wealthy because you, you took whatever Rome said, we, are, we need you to, this is your district, this is the amount of tax that's owed to Rome. You would take that amount, multiply it times whatever you wanted and say, well, then I'm going to collect double that. I'll keep my part. I'll give Rome Rome's part. So tax collectors, as we know, are really corrupt. Well, then the Christians are asking this question, so why should I pay taxes? Why should I pay taxes? Despite the fact that Jesus has already addressed this, right? He's already said, get your render to Caesar what, what belongs to Caesar. 
But the Christians still are asking this question. Yeah, well, yeah, but the Caesars are getting worse and worse and worse. Why should we pay taxes? Here's the, here's the word that's actually used here. Here's why. Because the authorities are, is this right? Is my Bible, I think it's messed up. I need a new Bible. This says, for the authorities are ministers of God. What do you mean they're ministers of God? The word that's used here is really kind of interesting. Here's the word. I'm just going to read it to you, and I bet you'll pick out the English in it. Leiturga. Leiturga. Okay, I'm going to say it a little bit differently. Liturgy. Leiturga. Can you kind of hear it? Liturgy. Leiturga. That's the word minister that's used here. Okay? So if I asked you, like you got a phone call, and uh, I said, hey, Katie, here's what we got. I got a deal going on. I need you to do the liturgy on Sunday morning. Look at that smile. <laughs> if I said, I need you to come do the liturgy on Sunday morning, when you get up in front of people to do the liturgy, would you just make up a bunch of crap? <laughs> Katie gets up there. She's like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like, let's do, let's do roll out the barrel. You know? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not. When you do the liturgy, you get up front. By the way, we've got a lot of lay ministers that do a great job of, of leading liturgy. But you get up in front. Liturgy is prescribed, right? It's prescribed. It's written down. You don't make it up. You pick up the book and you look at it and it says, okay, this is when I call people to stand. We're going to do a confession. We're going to do an absolution. We're gonna... There's an order to it. There's a prescription to it. Well, this is kind of what Paul is saying is that governors, those who have authority to govern at, at multiple levels, whether we're talking national, state, in, in, in our system, are actually liturgists. They follow a prescription. And uh, whose prescription is it? Well, this is what our minds can't comprehend, but that prescription actually belongs to God. I was thinking about this more deeply uh, this past week. We're getting ready to go into uh, the Christmas period. And um, I really wanted to study during the month of December a couple of pieces of Isaiah. And if you remember, in, during Isaiah's time, um, Israel is split. They've had a divide. They're a divided nation. There's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And um, the northern kingdom ultimately falls in 701 BC falls to uh, a king named Sennacherib, who's a Syrian, and um, he he wipes out the nor you know wipes out the northern kingdom, and um, you you look at Sennacherib and you're like, well, this is an Assyrian guy who <clears throat> mocks God, who doesn't believe in God, and yet the Bible would say, no, he's a minister. What do you mean he's a minister? Well, God appointed him to do what? To wipe out. The northern kingdom, that's right. Now, Judah doesn't fall until later, but they fall to the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, also a pagan ruler who despises God. And yet the Bible would say, Nebuchadnezzar, he's a minister. What do you mean he's a minister? He's following God's prescription. It's not like God goes, oh my gosh, how did Nebuchadnezzar get into office? This is terrible, we got to get him out. No, God goes, guess what? This guy, he's a tyrant. He's a pagan. He hates me. I love him. I want him to come to me. I desire him to spend eternity with me. But guess what? 
no matter what, I'm going to work through him. There's a prescription. And so the word minister is not wrong in your Bible. That's actually right. When I look at a, a governing official, in fact, try this the next time you see the mayor of our town, just say, hey, I understand you're a minister. I'm going to. Next time I see Roger Still, I'm going to say that to him. Hey, I understand you're a minister. Is that true? He'll tell me no. And I'll say, have you ever read the Bible? That'll stop him in his tracks for a little bit. <laughs> and then I'm going to be like, because the Bible says you are a minister, that you're actually called to, to follow God's prescription for you. Are you doing it? That's what I'm going to ask him. Are you doing it? And it's okay to ask governors that question because that's the role that they're to play. No matter no matter what their answer is, yes or no, guess what? God is at work doing what he's choosing to do through them. And so, so yes, Paul says to us, how I live in relationship to those individuals who govern impacts my witness. The Christians should be able to say to anyone in Rome, I pay my taxes. I pray for, I pray for Nero. I pray for Caligula. I would like to see their souls saved. I want them to know Jesus Christ. I'd do anything for them to know Jesus Christ. That's what the Christian should be able to say. Not, well, that guy's a blah, 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 and I, I'm going to resist him. And No, you mess your witness up if we don't live in a way that, that recognizes that how I live in the secular realm, the kingdom on the left, impacts my capacity to share the gospel in the kingdom on the right. It does impact it. Verse 7, he expands this to include uh, a little bit more than just taxes. He says, pay to all what is owed them. In other words, when God sets up authorities, uh, Luther does a great job of this, by the way, when he gives the explanation of the fourth commandment, you know, honor your father and your mother, and really lifts that up to a, to a different place and says, we're really talking about all of those people who God places into positions of authority, whether a teacher you know, or, or a, a uh, whoever, whatever, whatever God's put them in, whatever their vocational calling, we owe something to them. What is it that we owe to them? Well, he, he starts to delineate taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Okay? You can't say, well, I'm not going to pay for my house because it's owned by a person who's killing Christians. No, you, you owe revenue, pay revenue. And by the way, seek out the soul of that person who's killing Christians. Uh, respect to whom respect is owed. I'm going I'm to do another, I just want to put another little thing out on the table for us today because this is hard for me. I know it's going to be hard for at least some of you because I, I know some of you. <laughs> Must we respect Joe Biden? You know, one of the things that's really easy to get caught up in in our world today is, um, particularly online, our jokes, quips, uh, negative statements about leaders. It's really easy to get caught up in that. I've gotten caught up in it before. Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy's a blah, blah, blah. Um, here, here's what the Bible says. Respect them. Pay them the respect that's owed. Does that mean I have to agree with them? No. Um, it doesn't. But when I disagree, I'm going to disagree respectfully. And by the way, that does not mean saying to somebody, this is one of, please, please never say this to me. 
with all due respect. With all due respect. I'm like, you don't respect anything. <laughs> respect someone is to, to literally say, God, my spirit and my will right now, this is, and I'm just speaking honestly, I would like to respect this person. Can I deck them, Lord? I would I'd really like to just deck them. Would you please take hold of this thing out of me that wants to deck them, and instead would you allow me to love them, respect them? That's hard. That's really hard for me. And yet that's exactly what God calls us to. You know why? Because your respect of somebody who's different, somebody who you disagree with, your respect of them will open up a door for your witness. When I don't respect, I close the door for that witness. This is all Paul's trying to do here. He's getting ready to send Christians out into secular Rome. And secular Rome is a mess. And I don't want to respect that. I can't respect this person. Treat my God with a child in his hands. He's going to rape the child. I don't respect him. No, I don't respect that. But the office that they hold? Yeah, I got to respect them. And so I think I think it's uh, I think it's a challenge to us to to read uh, this chapter today because it's Odom. And so you know when it comes to our president, whether I vote for him or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, I will pray for them. I will seek out God's will for them. Uh, and when we when we are called into the public realm, uh, we ought to say, How do I, Lord, give me the ability to speak respectfully of them? And then finally, pay honor to whom honor is due. Pay honor to whom honor is due. Um, who is honor due to? You know, um, Mustafa. I owe you honor. Uh, Mustafa grew up in a world very different than mine and um, kept the faith, held on to the faith in a time where it could cost you your life. I honor you. And, um, you know, there's, there's kids in this room, and you're not kids anymore. But I picked on you, Cade, I honor you. You know, you're, you're, you're fighting on the front lines. And you really are, you're fighting on the front lines. You go out there every day, and it's like, okay, uh, what have I got to do to try to live out my life in a way that's Christian? I honor that. That's, all, that's awesome to me. Every woman in this room, I honor you. The role that you play is phenomenal. And um, giving yourselves to raising up a family that knows the Lord. And this is what Paul said, just pay honor to those who deserve honor. And um, I tell you what, when you live that way, um, it, it does. It's not because, you're not doing this manipulatively. You just be who God's called you to be and God says that will open up doors for the gospel uh, to go out. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except this, that you love one another. We teach it every year, right? To the confirmation students. How many commandments are there? One. Just one, really. The first one. Love the Lord to God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. If you do that, every other commandment is fulfilled. Right? Every other commandment. And, uh, and so what, what he's saying is, yes, yeah, it, it starts with a relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And by the way, outside of 
that relationship, I don't think any of this is possible. Outside of that relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't think any of this is possible. It's inside a relationship with, with Jesus Christ that I hear Jesus say to me, why should I honor you, Luke? Look what you've, look what you've been thinking. Yeah. Why should I respect you, Luke? Look what you've been doing. Oh, yeah. And yet, what does he do? He loves us. Inside of that relationship is born, through the Spirit of God, the ability to carry out a life. Other people will see. Trust me, if you're living this way, other people will see you, and they will want to know, what is it in you that causes you to live this way? Verse 9 says, The commandments you shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet, any commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourselves. The Christians cringed when they heard this. They're like, oh, but our neighbors are bad people. And Paul says, and here's what you do. You, you love them. And by the way, people will know in a split second whether you're playing a game with them or if you honestly love them. And so he says, love, love is the filling up of the law. Um, I want to I want to stop right there because I want to really you can almost put I want you just to put a line there in your Bible because the last part of this is a break. You, you end in verse eleven or in verse ten, and then you break into this last piece that captures the same essence that we've been dealing with, but recognizes. And what time it is, and I don't want to—I don't want to mess that up. So let's come back to that next week. Let me pray for us, Lord God, as we close out this morning. Uh, I hope we're challenged. I am. Um, a lot of things that I, I, I have to say in my own spirit, I'm not sure I want to do. Well, I'm sure I don't want to do. And Lord, uh, I pay attention to what you've called us to do, and why. The why is the most important thing. I think every one of us in this room wants to be able to bear a witness in a way that other people have to say, well, yeah, I see her, I see him, and the way that they live. And Lord, let the way that we live not close the door to witness, but open it wide. And so Lord, as we close today, we pray for the ability, we don't have it naturally, the ability to live according to this word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great rest of the week.